Jenny and I love to watch while we go out on our anniversary celebration. And, and then I, I begin to feel this righteous indignation. And then there's these shutdowns of large gatherings. Listen, my little sister, Talisha, is getting ready for her wedding that will take place on April 18. And it's a big deal. She's 41 years old and never been married. Tons of people who love her were planning to come to a huge celebration, but not anymore. Oh yeah, there'll there'll be a wedding. She and Randy will get married on the 18th of, of April, but... Uh, there, there won't be a big celebration. I, I actually suggested that we bring back the concept of the drive-in movies and, and have everybody go, come to their parking lot uh, there at the church and just stay in their cars, roll down the windows, have the ceremony outside with a loudspeaker blaring, and, and then after the end, when they kiss and they are pronounced husband and wife, everybody just honks their horns in celebration. That, that would be a, a great idea, and, and if anybody can pull that off, my dad, who will be performing this ceremony, will definitely be able to do something like that. Then I became angry. I became angry at uh, the news that uh, the churches are also under this uh, order to not meet. Uh, I argued, man, the government can't tell us what to do. There's a separation of church and state. <coughs> so I became angry. And then, and then you go out and you see all the run on the essentials and you start to wonder, is this the end of the world? No toilet paper. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's a question of us who, uh, for us who follow Jesus. What if it is? What if it is the end of the world? You know, no, no matter what the timeline of the last days are, and as we go through the book of First and Second Thessalonians, the, the writings of Paul to the Thessalonian church over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what Paul began or believed about the end times, and we'll definitely study that. But the main reason that we're even told about the troubles that the world will go through is that for those of us in God's family, we would respond differently than how the world will respond during those times. You begin to ask yourself, what are we supposed to do in times like this? Uh, well, what, are the, what is the church called to do, to, to respond? Are, are we going to ignore it and act like everything is just okay? I, I know that we have a faith in God, but does trust in God really mean that we, we act in a foolish, foolhardy way because somehow we believe that God's got this policy that nothing uncomfortable or bad will ever happen to his church, to his people, that, that somehow he's got this gigantic Norton antivirus that is shielding us? Uh, what happens to passages then, like Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, where we read that the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple. And then he said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Why? Well, because it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Kind of foolhardy, if you ask me. And Jesus knew, so he answered and said, but it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, you wonder, well, is Jesus just not showing enough trust in God at this point? Does trust in God mean that you act foolishly? without regard to your safety. It, you, you read in the, the Proverbs so much about how the simple need to seek prudence and wisdom. 
So what about the stories of Paul and his companions that, that would flee a city because their lives were in danger? Didn't they trust God to, to protect them? Why did they take these measures to protect themselves even though they had faith? You see, I, I believe that the scripture is very clear. To ignore what's happening in our world and act like nothing is going to touch us, well, that doesn't seem to be what it means to trust God. It doesn't mean that we just have this ticket to assume it's all going to be okay, that God's never going to let us get sick or, 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 or have struggles, because, folks, truth is, people of faith still die. They really do. But on the same coin, on the other side of that coin, trusting God should lead those who believe in Jesus. It should lead us to, to stay away from undue panic as we stockpile a bunch of stuff and lock ourselves away for the next three months for fear of our own lives. I, I heard a saying one time that worry is practical atheism. Yeah, you can say that you believe in God, that you have a faith in God, but if you still live your life with worry, and that being the, the, the main thing, this anxiety that just uh, chooses for you what you're going to do, that that is not really trusting God. It, it's one thing to be wise and, and to take precautionary measures, but it's an entirely different thing to live your life paralyzed by anxiety and fear. You, you see, there are steps that we can take, wise steps, but we should never ever forget that we also have a God who is bigger than any virus out there. There must be an attitude of allowing God to be God and to change the way that we deal with the darkness of our world. See, we are called, when we reflect the image of God, the imago Dei that we've been talking about, when we reflect that, we automatically shine the light of Jesus into this dark world. And so I remind us then of the characteristics that God has called us to demonstrate that is commended here in the uh, church of Thessalonica that, that was doing so well there in the first century. Remember, our, our key verse is 1 Thessalonians 1.3. In the ESV, it says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. As we reflect the imago Dei, the, the image of God, that is seen in our faith, in our love, in our hope. Now, today was supposed to be focused in on the love, the labor of love that we are called to demonstrate. And, and, and we're going to talk about that. But I think that this verse in its whole entirety, the faith, the love, and the hope, really is what we are called as a church to begin to reflect during these times of trouble and darkness. And so I want to look today at faith, hope, and love in the time of coronavirus. First of all, let's talk about faith just a little bit. We talked a lot about this last week, about the, the, the work of faith. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, James tells us, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. You see, Scripture teaches us that we don't know what's going to happen in three months. We don't know what's going to happen in eight months. We don't know what's going to happen in a year. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know there's a tendency on the part of many, many people to speculate in times of crisis, and that leads them down the road of fear because they play the what-if game. Well, what if this happens? What if this happens? And they become paralyzed. But the wisdom of Scripture tells us, listen, we've got today. We've got today. And so it's best to make the wise decisions that we must make based on what we know today at this moment. Now, it may change tomorrow. We may get another edict from on high about how to conduct our lives. We know what's happening today, this moment. And we can leave the future to a God that has the future in his hands. By way of an example, I I sent out an email, a connection to our church this last week, early in the week, only to have things change. And though I felt a little awkward about having to go back on some of the decisions that our leadership had made, been prepared to make, uh, I, I realized that in times of crisis, we need to stay in the moment. And we need to be prepared to sometimes change the course because we face each day as it comes, praying for wisdom and trusting that God is going to guide us through. That's what it means to have this work of faith. Also, in regard to faith, we must understand that we as believers in Jesus have a different filter must have a different filter than the world has. We need to see things in a different light. You see, Scripture tells us to not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, that's not just about the way that we live, our our morality, by the way. That's also about the way that we face the dark times, the troubles that come at us. Jesus knew that it was going to be rough for his disciples when he left, when he was crucified. And so he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Trust in me. Paul would go on to say that we don't grieve without hope like the rest of the world does. Why? Because we are not of this world. Yes, we live in this world. We have to deal with this world. But we're not like this world. We're not of it. We're not like everyone else. We are not to live in paralysis of fear. We have a faith in a God that has not been surprised by this pandemic at all. And he is still in control. I I love what Jesus said in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And in another translation it says, this is my gift. I want you to open up this gift and use it. It's it's the gift of peace. He says, "I, I don't give to you as the world gives. You go online, you watch the news. What the world is giving to you can lead to panic. What Jesus gives to us should always lead to peace. And if you're watching today, I I hope that there's somebody out there that is beginning to realize that if you have been living in fear, if you have been anxious during this time, if you're afraid of what's going to happen, where the economy is going, where the wall is going to be built, that you would today, Be able to surrender to your God, a God who is bigger than anything that we can ever encounter. And while God may not ever take you out of the trial, we are promised in his word that he will always see us through the trial. 
You, you see, we're all on this journey of, of whole life worship. Uh, like the pilgrims that would go to uh, Jerusalem three times a year. They would head up the mountain to, to where the temple was. And now that we know that the temple lives inside of us, that was the place of worship. And as we go to a place of worship in our own lives, we must understand that God says in Psalm 121 that he will not let your foot slip as you head towards a, a relationship of worship with him. So that's faith. That's the work of faith. And today, now I want to talk to you about the labor of love, as Paul puts it there in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Check out what Paul tells Timothy, his protege. Timothy was a young pastor in the, uh, in the city of Ephesus. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity but of power, a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. See, I think that in Paul's mind, the opposite of fear is the power of love. In fact, elsewhere we are told that perfect love casts out fear. And so, because of the love that we are called into as Jesus' disciples, we must be people who, like Jesus, lived sacrificially, not selfishly. We must be people of sacrifice, not selfishness. Now, technically, we are selfish. <laughs> you, just look at a toddler, okay? You don't ever have to teach a toddler how to say mine. My father did that uh, in, in, in my daughter's life uh, at her second Christmas. All the gifts were all around her, and my dad would pick up one and show it to her. It was for Jayana, and he'd say, mine? Can you say that? Can you say mine? I go, Dad, stop. You, you don't have to teach a toddler how to be selfish. That, that's kind of part and parcel to the whole human nature, right? It, it's kind of like who we are, our default. <laughs> well, but that's our sinful nature. Our redeemed nature, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his example because of what he has called us to, and through the power of his Holy Spirit, our redeemed nature is not like that. Our redeemed nature is not selfish. We are called to reflect the imago Dei, the selflessness as God would give his son as a sacrifice for this dark world. And so we are called to reflect that and to shine in these dark times. The most sacrificial love in the history of the world was modeled for us at Calvary on the cross. And you've got to believe that the one who gave his life for us now lives in us. And we are being made more and more into his likeness because of the Holy Spirit. And so we as God's people cannot live selfishly especially during times of crisis when the world is desperately seeking comfort and hope and answers. We are called to live sacrificially. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, uh, last year when we were going through the book of Acts, we saw that in the early church, as they were facing some incredibly tough times, that people would lose their businesses because of their faith in Jesus. They'd lose their families. Sometimes they would lose their lives because of their faith. 
These people were not out raiding the Capernaum Costco, hoarding things for themselves, uh, for their own survival. In fact, that's never, ever, ever been the church in times of hardship. Beginning with that early church in Acts chapter 2, they lived for other people. They lived sacrificially. Acts 2, 44 and 45 says all the believers were together. And they didn't have to be six feet apart, by the way. They were all together. And they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he has need. Now, many of you, I know, have blessed my heart this last, this last week because you have stepped it up. You have volunteered. I, I know people who have said, hey, listen, if, if somebody goes um, online to Walmart and they buy some stuff, th- this person was volunteering to go and pick it up and then even leave it on their doorstep. We've had several people say, listen, in Bend, if, if somebody needs anything, please let me know. Email me. Let me know. Get, give me their address, their phone number, and I'll go do whatever uh, I need to do over in Terrebonne and, and Redmond, in, in Prineville, here in Powell Butte. I, I love the fact that we have a church filled with people who are willing to live outside of themselves. That's what it means to have a labor of love because it's not normal. It's not natural to live outside of one's self. But they're now looking after other people, wondering how they can share with other people in need. But let me tell you this. Folks are not just struggling materially during this crisis. Many of them are struggling spiritually as well. They are hurting. They are lost. They're full of anxiety. And sure, we can and we do share material goods with them. But I also want to challenge you to share your faith in God, your hope and your confidence with them as well. See, we can share a kind and a caring heart as we just reach out to our neighbors and our friends and our family. Maybe just a a phone call, just to do a well check. Boy, I was blessed last week on, on Monday during the morning. I, I just started calling some, some elderly people from our congregation to see how they were doing. What a great time of just loving on them and showing them how much I cared. And, and, and you'd be surprised the power of a simple loving gesture as it touches people's hearts and souls. But because the mindset, again, goes against our human nature, our sinful nature, it is a labor of love because it's not natural. It must be supernatural. So it takes time. It takes effort. It it takes sacrificing your own agenda, your own comfort at times. It's about giving up our rights, which is not an easy thing to do, especially for Central Oregonians, believe me, making allowances for others' opinions and thoughts. I had very strong feelings. I told you I got angry that the government would tell this church what to do. So I, I had this very strong opinion about social distancing. And, and, and to me, I, I believe that the church needed to, to meet and to, to carry on, to stay filled with faith. But then as I gathered with other people, I, I heard the breaking heart of a gal whose precious grandkids are on strict quarantine. She can't see them right now in person. She can't hold them. She can't love on them like she wants to, like she's used to doing. And so she said the sooner that the pandemic passes, the sooner she can see her grandkids. And I heard that. And all of a sudden, my stubborn desire to weather the storm took a back seat. I had to. 
I had to, if I could forego life as normal and somehow contribute to a shorter time of pandemic by doing so, as a Christ follower, why wouldn't I? It's not out of panic or fear, because I know my God is in control, but if I can show love to somebody by not spreading this thing and taking those precautions, why wouldn't I? Is that hard? You better believe it is. That, that's why Paul commends the Thessalonian believers for their labor of love and their willingness to do the difficult for the benefit of somebody else. I, a good friend of mine <clears throat> emailed me uh, this last week with this helpful insight. Part of the email said, Hello, everyone. Another crazy day, I'm sure. Uh, a few things to consider. In these types of situations, we tend to stress over what the, the what if or the when will this end. One of the many things I learned in therapy is that we are all going through similar things. So with the thought that we are all struggling in some way, we all have a story about the coronavirus and how it's impacting us, our families, our friends, that we might need to share. Sharing our stories can be helpful to our state of mind, especially being isolated for the most part, because we are social animals. So reach out. Reach out to friends, to family, to church members that you may know. Call folks who are at home. Call folks who might be taking the extra precautions around the virus. Don't try to convince someone about your opinion about the virus or the actions of the government. Just talk. Let's love on one another during this craziness. If all of us call someone, it would take no time for all of us to hear from someone. So please consider everyone that you know, especially those you might think are strong and brave and don't need a call. I, I, I thought that was such a good thought, great insight, because sacrificing our own agenda, our own even opinion, and trying to be right and, and winning that argument, well, that might be the most powerful thing that comes out of this time of crisis as we serve as a light shining for Jesus. So there's the work of faith and there's the labor of love. Finally, Paul commends this church in Thessalonica for their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is hope? Well, hope is the reassurance that there's something on the other side of this valley of the shadow. The valley of the shadow, that should ring a bell. You remember the 23rd Psalm, the, the shepherd's Psalm of David's. King David had written, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and my cup runneth over. When King David was a boy, he was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he would know that uh, when one leads a flock from one pasture to the other, that path at times to the greener pastures would lead through dark chasms between high cliffs. And in between these cliffs, the, 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 the shadows would grow very, very dark. And there would lurch predators, wild animals that would be attacking the flock, or even robbers who would be laying in wait for the shepherds. But the shepherd knew. The shepherd knew that on the other side of that pathway, that valley of the shadow, would lay the fields that would provide nourishment and health for the flock. 
So even through the darkest of all those valleys, because we all go through dark valleys in our lives, but even through the darkest of all valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, King David expresses a hope that there is something on the other side, something more, uh, something that we can't see, but we just have to have hope that there is there. Because hope is not wishing that perhaps there is something better, like I hope it doesn't snow today on my way home. No, it's a biblical understanding of that hope is this confidence that there is something better, that there is something on the other side of all this. Now, what that something better is for you might differ from what that something better is for me because God still is very sovereign. And he knows what's going on. And his plan for Bill might be different from his plan uh, from Gabe. He is sovereign. But we read in Romans chapter 8 that we know that in all things God works good for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good. That's where our hope lies, church. God works for the good. David speaks of God's rod and staff bringing us comfort. Let let me tell you a little bit about the rod and the staff. The rod was a tool of the shepherd to strike down the enemies, the predators who would seek to devour the sheep. David speaks of the ultimate overcoming of our enemies as a great feast will be put in front of us in the presence of our enemies who will not be invited showing them that we are in God's family and we enjoy His favor. So church, whatever is happening, whatever is happening, we know that God has a rod striking down the enemies of our soul. Discouragement, disillusionment, fear, anxiety. Because God's got the power to work for the good of those who live in His kingdom. But we must not forget as he does so, as he works for the good for those of us who love him, it is for his purpose. That's the other part of that verse in Romans 8, that he works for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. See, the second tool of the shepherd that is mentioned is the staff. Now, that would be the long, crooked stick that you see on on the front of Christmas cards when you see the shepherds out in the fields watching over their flocks by night. The purpose of that staff was actually twofold. First of all, as he would lead them into this dark valley, sometimes they would not be able to see. And so that staff would make sure that they would remember that he was there, that he was still there, even though they might not be able to see what he was doing. That staff represented his presence. Secondly, that staff would would serve as a coercion tool. Because sometimes we as sheep don't want to go there. And and, and we we resist as much as we can. And so we we think that it's better on this side. I don't want to go through that valley of the shadow. But the shepherd knows what's on the other side. He knows that that's where we need to go. And so that staff will grab sheep that are resistant and pull them, coerce them to, to be in where he wants them to be. Which means that we live daily with this understanding that there is a rod and a staff in our shepherd's hands. That should give us hope. The the, the steadfast hope in, in the Lord is a daily thing, church. That's why it's important to keep a spirit 
of worship up during this time. Not just on Sunday mornings. Yes, we are in the habit of meeting together as the book of Hebrews encourages us to. But that may look differently for the next several weeks or maybe even months. But the act of worship must always happen. It must happen on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis in order for us to have the hope that God has this. He's got a rod and a staff to bring us comfort. Something that we need to be reminded of daily, not just once a week. Our hope will grow the more that we focus in on the character of God. Worship will help dispel anxiety and darkness as His light will reach into the very darkest corners of our heart and our world as well. I want to share with you the uh, lyrics of a song that came out, I don't know, in the late 80s, early 90s, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And these lyrics, this song has been going through my mind for the last two weeks now. I wanted to share with you the, the lyrics of at least the chorus because it's giving me hope that God's got this and there's something on the other side. The chorus, it's a, it's a song called King of the Jungle. And the chorus goes like this. What I feel is telling me this world's gone crazy. But what is real says God's still on his throne. And what I need is to remember one thing, that the Lord of the gentle breeze is Lord of the rough and tumble, and He is the King of the jungle. Why I love that imagery is this, is the jungle can get dark at times, convoluted, scary. There is another side, folks, and God knows the way. I have found that worship every day hour by hour, is one of the key ways of maintaining my hope. Because worship will remind me that I can keep going. That I have a God who can do above and beyond all that I ask or even imagine. That I can reach out to others to share my faith in this solid rock. That I can keep the doors open for our community who may be looking for peace amidst the crazy and, and, and hope amidst the anxiety and a love that only a Heavenly Father can give to them. Right now, as we uh, conclude our service, uh, I'd invite the worship team to come on back up. Folks, you know I love you. I love serving as your pastor, whether you have been able to be here on campus or whether you have chosen to be at home. Thank you for, for joining us, for tuning in, because I believe that this message is something that we need to take to heart. Because how is the best way for us to combat the darkness How should we then live? Well, I I believe that we can learn from this church in Thessalonica that received such wonderful commendation from the Apostle Paul. I would encourage you this week, look for ways that you can embrace faith. Yeah, there will be doubt, and that doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It just continue to exercise your faith to say, God is in control, and I will not be afraid. I might act in wisdom and prudence, but I will not act out of panic and a sense of fear. Then look for those who need your touch of love, that labor of love as you reach out and share the love of Jesus with people. And then to always hold on to hope as you worship God every day. And I pray that, like so many other times in the history of the world, God will use this time of turmoil and trial 
to bring those who do not know him back into a trusting relationship with himself as he shines through you. Let me remind you what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. This imago Dei, the image of God, let it shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In times of crisis, this world will always see fear mongers, self-absorbed jerks, and dope pushers. But because of who we are in Christ, we have been called to fight against all of that and to serve as faith-living, love-given hope pushers. That's what I want to encourage you to be today. You see, the virus may be contagious, but I am praying that the, the followers of Jesus from this church are even more contagious. I'm praying that faith, love, and hope will spread faster than any virus ever could. Because as a little uh, uh, plaque or a, a little uh, picture in my house declares, the stars shine brighter when they are seen in the darkest of nights. So folks, let's shine.